For the past two years, Congress and the President have been, for the most part, on the same page about their desire to pass an infrastructure package. But some are now saying it might be tough to get a surface transportation reauthorization and an infrastructure deal done in the same year. At least two influential Republicans who've been at the center of this debate tell reporters here in Washington they think doing both in 2019 is a lift too heavy for the Hill. Meanwhile, hearings on the next transportation bill continue. On March 6th, the House Ways and Means Committee gathered to discuss, among other things, the money it will take to pay for future projects. The committee's ranking Republican, Congressman Kevin Brady from Texas, urged his colleagues to look for efficiencies in whatever package Congress approves. It's important that as we explore ways to find revenue to fill the infrastructure bucket, we take concrete steps together to fill these leaks so more money goes directly to the projects our communities and states desperately need. We are ready to sit down and roll up our sleeves to find common ground on rethinking the process and responsibly accelerating infrastructure projects. That includes encouraging the use of technology and innovative solutions. We cannot overlook the role of the private sector in a 21st century infrastructure system. This is Hard Facts. I'm Robert Johnson. Any bill passed by Congress will cost taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars, so it makes sense to look for ways to shave time and waste from projects. Jeremy Gregory is the executive director of the MIT Concrete Sustainability Hub. He's studied the benefits of concrete in numerous construction applications and talks with us about the money-saving advantages of the life cycle cost analysis planning process. The whole idea behind life cycle cost analysis is that you're making a decision about something for a long time. And as a consequence, you don't just want to think about initial costs, but you also want to think about costs that happen in the future and weigh those against each other. So, for example, it might make more sense to invest in something that has lower costs throughout its lifetime, but you have to weigh those things together. You know, people are familiar with the concept of paying for an energy-efficient appliance, for example, like a refrigerator. Maybe that energy-efficient refrigerator has a higher initial cost, but it will have lower operational costs throughout its life. So doing a life cycle cost analysis is just a way to look at both the initial costs and those future costs together in what we call a net present value. And the reason that this is important when you're looking at uh, structures that use concrete, such as buildings and pavements, is that they last a long time. So you want to be able to look at those initial costs and the future costs together to be able to weigh those trade-offs. Well, and the future costs are nothing to sneeze at. I mean, you know, money goes up every year, costs more to do everything. Doesn't it make sense to do a project right the first time? Absolutely. You know, people talk a lot about sustainability, and to me that's kind of when you get down to it is what the definition is. You want something to last. And so actually if you build something right the first time, then those costs in the future can be very low if anything at all, right? So that's the idea. But of course, if you're just making decisions based on initial costs, you're rarely going to value that investment in something that's going to last. And that's because a lot of times building something that doesn't have a shorter lifespan is going to cost more. Do you think that's why a lot of DOTs and others who build road projects aren't using this model? It's been around 60 years, but not everybody is on board. 
Yeah, I think that just our human nature is kind of to think in the short term. And certainly a lot of our elected officials are making decisions based on the short term because that's when they're in office and when they have control. And so it takes really something different for someone to say, you know, I'm going to look beyond just the time that I have in office and try and think about people in the future and the investments that we need to make for them. And that's something that we need to prioritize and we need to also reward elected officials who do think in that manner. Some states are doing this. Last week we talked about Missouri, Louisiana, and Kentucky as a few of them. Is there an example in your mind that makes this case better than others? We've had some interaction with the state of Colorado, and I think they have a pretty robust process for doing life cycle cost analyses of pavements. And there's a couple different elements of it that I think are worth considering. One is that they account for uncertainty. And the reason that that's important is because we're talking about something that's going to last for decades into the future. So we don't know about everything that's going to happen in terms of material prices or the types of maintenance and rehabilitation that we're going to do. So accounting for uncertainty is important. The other thing is that they have a pretty robust process by which they design an asphalt and a concrete pavement design, and then they share the assumptions of their analysis with stakeholders. And that will include uh, contractors who are doing the construction, asphalt industry, and the concrete industry. And so they generally are able to get a consensus then on the results um, because they have an open and transparent process. So I think for both of those reasons, at least my interaction with uh, the people in the state of Colorado has been pretty good. And I think they have a model that others would benefit from. Now, your research is online and it's worth visiting if people listening haven't done so. If they don't have time to get to it right now, take us through the numbers. What have you found as it relates to the actual savings? Well, I think that there's a couple different ways that we can consider the benefits of life cycle cost analysis. And one of them is just you have to think about would you make a different decision if you had done a life cycle cost analysis rather than made a decision based on initial cost. And that's obviously a hypothetical that's hard for us to be able to validate because a lot of agencies that are making decisions don't want to go down that road. But certainly we've been able to show in our analysis that doing a life cycle cost analysis can alter the decision. That is basically you could end up choosing something based on initial cost that would have a higher life cycle cost. So it could just be that basically agencies are spending more money throughout the lifetime just by picking on initial costs. The other thing that we found is in particularly when we look not just at individual project selections, but also more at the portfolio of projects that transportation agencies have, we find that they spend lower in total across all of their projects if they use a diversity of different pavement types. And part of that comes back to the uncertainty that I already mentioned. There's going to be variation over time in the prices that you have for different types of paving. And by having a robust portfolio of different solutions, you're able to actually spend lower overall by being able to tap into different solutions 
depending on what the prices are. So just like diversity in a financial portfolio is beneficial, the same thing is when you're talking about transportation-related assets like pavements. Because this approach does not predetermine the outcome. It's agnostic as it relates to choosing asphalt over concrete or you know whatever approach someone might prefer. It really is trying to find the best long-term solution for the money. That's absolutely correct. You know, people ask us which paving solution is better, and we always say it depends. And our analyses show that's definitely the case. We have a what we call context-dependent solutions. And what that means is that the context is going to include what's the traffic levels, what is the climate like, what are the particular pavement designs, and all of those factors can go into determining what's the best solution. I think the nice thing about doing a life cycle cost analysis is that it requires you to kind of question what is the best solution for that context, and it allows for innovation on coming up with the best design as long as you're optimizing it over the entire life cycle and not just for that initial construction. And maintenance is a big piece of this too, isn't it? You know, it's one thing to suffer through a new construction project or a project that's adding capacity. It's quite another than to get used to that. All the traffic gets drawn to the new facility only to find in a couple of years it's shut down again and people are diverted because, well, you know, there are potholes everywhere and we've got to fix all of this. That just amplifies the expense, doesn't it? Absolutely. Part of doing a life cycle cost analysis is not just thinking about what's the initial construction that you're going to do, but also how would you plan to manage that asset throughout its life. And so that's thinking about not just the design, but also your maintenance and rehabilitation plan as well. And so those things have to go hand in hand. And so that's a key element of doing this life cycle planning. Given the benefits then, why aren't all states, why aren't all transportation agencies using the life cycle cost analysis to plan their projects? I think that engineers who are designing pavements and bridges and things that are used by the public are very rightfully so risk averse. You know, there are many safety considerations that have to be taken into account when making decisions about these items. And it's a tall order to have a certain amount of budget and then to try to keep those transportation assets at their best. And I think as a consequence, that will often mean that there's a resistance to change, to basically make very small incremental changes based on what has been successful in the past. And I think the the challenge with that is that it doesn't necessarily encourage innovation or risk-taking. And I think that what we've seen is that if we really want to make advances in the sustainability of our transportation infrastructure, then we're going to have to do better at being more economically efficient and also considering environmental implications of what we're doing as well. And that means we have to start taking a longer-term approach. But until basically other stakeholders in the states, and you know, primarily the legislators of the executive branch, start pressuring transportation agencies to think beyond kind of the existing metrics and existing approaches, there essentially is sort of that risk aversion 
to doing anything different. And I think it's time that we bucked up our courage and basically said, we need to make a change and we, we can do better. Do you have conversations on a regular basis with folks out in the States? I do, yeah. And what do they tell you about this? Is that what you're hearing? Are there other reservations they have? You know, transportation agencies contain a wide variety of people in them, right? A Department of Transportation actually manages all kinds of different assets, right, from railways to airports to roads and bridges, right? So there might be, sometimes what happens is you get people at the top of the agencies who are very much on board with it, but then you get down to people who are making decisions about pavement designs, and they may not actually be involved in deciding how pavement maintenance investments are coordinated with pavement construction, as an example, right? You know, those funds often come from different places. And so I think one of the challenges is just that the organizations are so complex and the decision makers are so diverse. You can get engagement sometimes with one person within a very large organization. But what we really need is, I think, leadership at the top to say, you know, this is a priority and people are going to be rewarded for taking risks, even if sometimes those risks don't work out. I suppose a lot of the pressure on the states comes from the public as well, right? I mean, they want the road delivered now and they don't want to see a big price tag in the newspaper. I think that's true, but I think the other thing is that the public often has a short-term memory as well, right? If you have a road that's failing and has potholes in it, for example, and then, you know, a politician makes a big show of making sure that road is paved, but then three years later there's potholes again, then, you know, oftentimes the politicians are rewarded for saying, look, I paved the roads again. And very few people in the public who are kind of keeping track of that longer-term investments and the amount of time that we're doing that. And so it's beholden upon us to try to be a bit more skeptical about the overall spending that's happening, and the frequency that maintenance and rehabilitation is happening. If we continue to do short-term fixes, that isn't really a long-term sustainable solution. You've carried this message around Washington, D.C. We met with you last time you were here. What do you hear on the Hill when it comes to talking about life cycle cost analysis as a federal requirement? There's a lot of interest and head nodding when we talk about these challenges and what they want to do. But I think what causes more head scratching is basically what's the best way to try to implement these practices. So, for example, there are federal dollars that will go to states to support paving efforts. And there are some requirements associated with measuring the performance of a pavement network and reporting that back. But there aren't yet really specifics about metrics in terms of how states should be economically efficient with their spending. And there's a lot of debate at the federal level about the degree to which that should be required and how that should be done. I think the fact that there is more detailed requests for measurement of pavement performance and tracking that over time and then using it for planning purposes. I think that's a good thing, but I think there are additional opportunities to set the bar higher in terms of the amount of performance that can be expected and the economic efficiency. So do you think we're moving in that direction, even if it's not as fast as we'd like? 
I think we are moving in that direction. Like I said, asking for the measurement of pavement performance, but I think there are still opportunities for setting the bar higher. Given that LCCA has been around for so long and only a few states use it, is there any way to bring about this kind of savings through this process other than legislation? That's a challenging question because uh, I really would like to be able to say that this is something that transportation agencies would do on their own. But history has shown that there is significant resistance to transportation agencies doing this. And so if there were an alternative way to legislating LCCA, I'd be glad to do it, but I haven't really seen it happen. I would say another alternative is rather than requiring LCCA, another option is basically to change the way that pavement contracts are bid. The model that we have in this country is that transportation agencies design pavements and then send out those specific pavement designs for bid. The alternative that I've seen in some other countries is basically that transportation agencies say, these are the requirements that we're looking for in a pavement over its lifetime, and we want agencies to bid on the initial construction and also that maintenance that happens in the future. And essentially, there are various forms of what we call public-private partnerships. And there's a whole spectrum by which, you know, either the public agency has more control compared to the private agency. That's probably worthy of a whole other podcast. But I would say it does seem to me that that would allow for more opportunities for innovation in terms of how we think about maintaining and constructing an asset throughout its lifetime. Do you think that approach would help realize some of the same savings we're attributing to LCCA? I do. Because inherent in that process is a rethinking of what the initial construction and maintenance cost of this asset throughout its lifetime will be. If people listening to this podcast want to advocate in their own states for this approach, what are the talking points? What would your two or three bullets be for them? I think the number one thing is just to try to understand what is the current process by which pavement design, construction, and maintenance decisions are made, because there seems to be 50 different ways in which that is done. And that allows one to basically say, what are the opportunities to basically incorporate assessment of life cycle costs throughout its lifetime? You know, as we've mentioned, there are some states that already have this process in place, and some do it pretty well, and some don't at all. And so I think the number one thing is just try to get a better understanding of what that process is, because the solutions will depend on what that context and what's already being done. And if people want more information, where do they go? For research that we've done related to this, they can go to our website, which is cshub.mit. And we have a bunch of topic sheets that kind of summarize some of our research on this topic and then also some more detailed research for those that are interested with some academic publications as well. Finally, the real benefit here is saving money and, if you want to spend it anyway, building more projects, isn't it? I like to think of it as being basically just getting the more bang for your buck, right? Even if you have only a limited amount of funds, 
this allows you to basically get more out of those funds that you have. You know, the American Society of Civil Engineers, every few years, you know, they assess the state of the pavement network and we'll often rate our, you know, network a D or a D plus. You know, they came up with what they call their grand challenge. And that is basically they assessed all the things that are facing civil engineers. And the number one challenge they came up with is basically to try to reduce life cycle costs of infrastructure by 50% by 2025. And to me, what's interesting about that is that basically they intentionally chose this concept of life cycle costs. And the way they came up with that 50% is they basically identified, you know, there was, I, I think it's like $4 trillion in infrastructure improvements that would be necessary and only $2 trillion or so that are budgeted. And I'd have to check those exact figures, but it was basically, you know, about half as much as was needed. So we have two ways that we can go about trying to meet that gap. One is obviously to increase investment in infrastructure. And that's certainly something that a lot of people are pushing for and I think would be a good idea. But in the absence of that, the other thing that we can do is just be more efficient with the funds that we have. And that's where reducing the life cycle costs come into play. And so we're very much on board with that grand challenge. And that's what a lot of our research tries to do is to show how those types of things can be done. Across the nation, America's concrete industries are watching closely what's happening in Congress, their members ready to provide the products needed to improve our transportation network. Richard Meller, president and CEO of the American Concrete Pressure Pipe Association, is among those tracking Washington's every move. You just can't let things rot like we've let them rot. That's next Wednesday on Hard Facts, a podcast production of the Portland Cement Association. I'm Robert Johnson. I'll see you then.